Okay, well, as a pastor, uh, I meet and talk with so many people about God and faith and what it means uh, to be a, a Christian and just we talk about life in general. And despite all the information out there, um, there's often so many people who seem very confused about the person of Jesus. Uh, and they're confused about what it means to relate to Jesus. What does Jesus want? Why do I even have to think about Jesus? Who is this guy? Uh, and, and also, we, we, there's a lot of confusion about what it means for Christians to relate their life with Jesus to other people in their life, whether it's their neighbors or their friends or the people at the parents' school or the people that you work with. Um, like, for instance, like when I say a relationship with Jesus, what does that even mean? Or when I say the word Christian or Christianity, what does that actually mean? And when we talk about the Christian faith, there's a lot of ideas about what it means to share that faith, what we call good news, with people. Um, I don't think this is a foreign concept to you. People have impressions and ideas about what Christians are doing when they share their faith. Uh, I'm gonna, so I want to see these. Uh, I want to see these slides. So I'm going to pop down here for a minute. So uh, we have a slide. Um, like, can we show the? First? So some people think of when you think of faith uh, and sharing your life with Jesus. You sometimes maybe think of the e, the dreaded E word. Does anyone know what the E word is? Evangelism or evangelist. Oh yeah. By the way, I am a pastor. But if I am, if there's, if I'm on a very crowded plane, all I need to say is I'm an evangelist. And I get all the extra space I want on a plane. So uh, <laughs> I don't. But um, when, when some people think of uh, sharing your life with Jesus, maybe they think of like, you know, the sign people uh, down at the promenade. You know, there's some sign people and they're yelling at people with bullhorns. And they're like, if you uh, if you go to Pinkberry, you're going to hell. And uh, or they, tell, they have the signs. Yeah. Um, or perhaps uh, uh, go to the next slide if you could. Um, or maybe look at this. It's like people on the street, you know, and they've got Bibles. And they're like, you know what uh, you need is a relationship with Jesus. Let me flip to this book and show you. And especially on this one over here, uh, this guy, he's got, a, he's got a Bible cover. And he's got, and I don't know if you noticed, but he has two bookmarks in case you get, you know, like. So like, you know, so sharing your life with Jesus is essentially like, here, here, oh, let's open this book. Let's look at this. If you want to go to the next slide. Uh, or sometimes when people think sharing your faith, they think of uh, Billy Graham, the great Billy Graham, who recently uh, passed away. Or you think of someone like Lewis Plow, who like, they, what they do is they gather like thousands and thousands and thousands of people into a room. And then they go, you know, you, this is what you got to do. You know, you got to pray this magical prayer. Um, and so that's what sometimes people think when it means to share your life with Jesus or evangelism. What's uh, the next slide? Next slide, please. Um, so what are the images that come to mind when we like think of sharing our life with Jesus? Well, one of those images is an image of warfare. Some people think it's like going to war and the Christians all get ready. We're like, we're going to go to war. We're going to fight. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, and it says, sometimes, this is from Matt Michalotis, sometimes we think that we have to battle people with the gospel, that we have to confront them and beat them down. Uh, when we see evangelism as conflict, we immediately put our listeners on the defensive. How many times have you interacted with someone of faith and it seems like they're just arguing and fighting and they're trying to win the argument and it just kills everything. There's no relationship there. It's like, not fun to interact with someone like that. 
I am a Christian pastor, and still sometimes people will try to beat me down with the gospel, and it's not fun. Sometimes I play along. Sometimes I know what questions to ask to throw them off. Um, so that's fun, too. Next slide, please. Or sometimes we think of sharing our life with Jesus as a lot like a salesperson, okay? So that guy has a contract, and this poor woman's like, get out of my home. Uh, next slide, there's a quote. Um, what once had been the glorious art of Christian conversation had been, re- had been reduced down to a kind of telemarketing campaign for Jesus. Furthermore, our culture was no longer buying it. They were on to us. They smelled out our religious salesmanship and were having none of it. What, I love that. The glorious art of Christian conversation reduced down to a telemarketing campaign. Here's what you got to do, you see. You got to get them in, and here's what God's going to do for you. And if you do X, Y, and Z, this is what will happen, and this and that and the other. Um, I don't know that that's a great way. We have another image. Uh, the image is hunting. And here we have a, a female hunter with a bright orange cap and a gun. Uh, sometimes people think of sharing your life with Jesus as like, uh, like hunting, like hunting and bagging people. Putting notches in your belt. We have a slide that goes with this a quote from Rebecca Pepper. It says, there was a part of me that secretly felt evangelism was something you shouldn't do to your dog, let alone a friend. To evangelize, it seemed, required insensitivity and an inclination to blurt out a memorized gospel outline without inhaling to every stranger you, you met. Next, next slide. We have another quote. Uh, from another guy, and this is what he writes, and this is fascinating. This guy lives in and around Los Angeles. He used to be from Ohio, uh, and, he, and he writes, most of what we think of as personal evangelism falls under the shark approach, you know, that hunting imagery. I spent the first several years of my Christian life seeking to soul win everyone in sight. During this time, I lived with the view that the world was a very disorderly place. As I saw it, my assignment was to bring it into order by evangelizing. There's another one after. This is the first. I, I, I cornered every relative and friend who would listen for a few minutes and let them have it with both barrels. It wasn't long before I had shell-shocked everyone I knew. After a while, when people saw me coming, they would make up excuses like, I can't talk right now. I've got to go polish my dog. I have to go polish my dog. Uh, what an excuse. And so when we, like, when we think about this, um, you know, we have like all these different kinds of images and ideas of what it means to live life with Jesus and share our life with Jesus. And so today, we're actually going to be starting a new series called The Real Jesus. We're going to be taking a look at who Jesus actually is and what he calls us to be. And uh, as I was thinking about this series, I was thinking about the Eminem song. So the Eminem, uh, the, uh, you, you know, he had this real song, Will the Real Slim Shady Please Stand Up? Please Stand Up? Please Stand Up? And in my mind, when I was preparing this, I was like, Will the Real Jesus Please Stand Up? Please Stand Up? Please Stand Up? And all, all the time we have ideas and opinions and things that go around in our mind about who Jesus actually is. Will the real Jesus please just stand up? Who is he? What does he want? You put clothes on and walked through the rain uh, and came here on a Sunday morning. Why are you here? You're all facing a wall and singing songs at a wall. 
Uh, and then I got up here and you're willing to listen to me for a few minutes. What are we doing here when we talk about Jesus? And, and so, but here's what we believe. Uh, and here's what I believe to be true. And this is what we're going to be aiming at for this entire series is, is this. When we get clear about the real Jesus, our lives become way more real. And we get clear on how to live a great life. And getting clear about Jesus is incredibly important if we want to understand God. And getting clear about the real Jesus is incredibly important if we want to understand how to have and grow healthier relationships. Uh, If we want to have healthier marriages, if we want to have healthier interactions in our romantic relationships, if we want to relate to the people that we work with, we have an example in the real Jesus. Additionally, it not only just changes our relationships, but it also changes how we interact with our world. When we get clear about the real Jesus, we know how to better tune in to the suffering and the hurting our world experiences. And we're able to better tune in to God to have a better impact in our world. There's people and things that we see that are not right. They are not working for people. And we have the ability to step into those moments. And when we get clear about the real Jesus, we know how to better do that. So the exciting thing that Jesus offers is relationship. And he says, come. He says, come, follow me. And what I want to do today is talk more about that. So I've called today's talk, Life with Jesus. I'm going to pray and invite God's presence to be here. And then I'm going to speak a little bit more. And then we'll end. Okay? So will you pray with me? God, I, uh, you... You have done so much in my life. And God, I ask that you would help me to communicate that to people. God, I ask that you would help me to speak as I should. I ask that uh, in different ways you would lead me to speak uh, in ways I was not planning to speak. And I ask that you would speak to people here. That you would guide my words. And God, that you would talk to them about their life. And you would relate to them in a way that works. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, I'm going to be looking at a verse in Matthew chapter 4, and here's what we read. This is, uh, this is a little story about Jesus. Uh, just going to do a brief reading here. So follow along on the screen. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into a lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Jesus calls random people out of their normal everyday life to follow him. And what I'd like to begin by talking about uh, this, this subject today is what I believe to be the reality about how life works in general. In life, Our experiences shape our understanding of the world. For example, our understanding about right and wrong. What is right and what is wrong? It is often shaped by whom? Uh, Our family of origin. Maybe our school. Right and wrong can also be sort of determined by the pain we've experienced in our lives. Well, if we do something and we receive uh, bad feedback or we are hurt by something, we go, well, you know, maybe it's not right to do that. And so our right and wrong view, our ethics, our, mor- our moral centers often 
cultivated by our experience with other people and our experience with our families. Our, um, for example, uh, our view of marriage, how we understand marriage is often influenced by our experience with marriage. Like if your parents are together and they are happily married, you have a certain understanding of marriage. If your parents are divorced or one of the spouses died or any other number of situations you might have in a room of this size, you've got a certain perspective on marriage. It may not be what you, the perspective you start with may not be the one that you have now, but your experiences play into that. Or uh, just as simple, something as simple as sports teams, like where you grew up can sometimes influence who your sports teams are. Does anyone here follow a sports team because they come from a different part of this country? Yes, yes. You have, so no one follows sports or they're unwilling to. Okay, cool. There they are. All right, cool. It's a terrible illustration. Um, so I am from Cleveland, Ohio. And I am for a, who said woo woo? I would love to meet you. Oh, yeah, I know you. Yeah, so that's Candace. Yeah, Candace. Yeah, Candace and I. The mistake by the lake. Uh, I'm from Cleveland, and forever there's this low lying need to be like faithful to the Cleveland Browns. Have we ever done anything? No. Will we ever do anything? The, uh, the quote is there's always next year. Uh, so, like, the, our experience with growing up in that Browns era, uh, my experience was like, I will always be a Browns fan, you know? So, that's, that's, so our experiences in life shape our understanding of the world. And the same is true for how we understand Jesus. Our experiences with Christianity and Christian people or Christians often shape our understanding of Jesus. If you grew up in the church... You have, depending on what kind of church it was, you have a positive or a negative experience with church. Uh, like the, the way people related to each other, the way if you went to Sunday school, the teachers, or what you thought about the pastor. The good, bad, and the ugly of your church experience shapes your understanding of church and God and, and Jesus. And if you have no church experience, or you have a limited understanding of what church is and why we're all doing this here... Uh, maybe you were brought or uh, you had influence by Christians who were neighbors or maybe a neighbor brought you every once in a while. Or maybe just your entire perspective about Christianity is based on like what you've seen on television and movies. Uh, you have a certain perspective too. Now, regardless of your faith background, regardless of how you vote, regardless of your unique individual self, your one of a kind self, there is one question that everybody asks. And that one question is this, who are my people? Who are my people? Everybody at one point or another asks, who are my people? To whom do I belong? Who are my friends? Who is my group? And who is my tribe? And we do this. We see this. We do this in families. We definitely do this in politics. Jonathan Haidt, he's a researcher at UVA. He's done some work in NYU and the University of Chicago. He says that politics are a team sport. Politics, very much, we're trying to figure out who our tribe is, who aligns with us, what's the purity of our tribe. We do this, like I mentioned, with sports team. We do this with people that we have common interests with. We do this in almost every area of life. We identify who our people are, basically for our survival to belong, to be accepted, and ultimately to be loved. 
And when we ask this question, when we define who our people are, we are trying to figure out who is in and who is out. Who is a part of my tribe? Who are my people? Who is in and who is out? Who are my people? Now, some of this tribal thinking is very important and it's healthy. But some of this tribal thinking about who is in and who is out with other people has made its way into the way we think Jesus thinks about us. The in and the out. The in and the out. And so what I'd like to do today is show you an illustration called Bonded and Centered Set. And so um, I'm going to pop down again here. Do you guys, is it, is it super graceful when I pop up and down here? Uh, oh, God. Oh, God. Oh. Oh, all right. So we have bonded and centered set. What am I talking about? Next slide, please. Uh, bonded and centered set. Uh, well, this one's the bonded and centered set, uh, but that should say bonded. <laughs> it's like off the page. If I'm, if I, I'm not going to touch it. So bonded and centered set. What is it? Well, here and you see a very clear circle, and that circle represents a boundary. What is in and what is out. And you see single people and married people and all different kinds of people. Some are in and some are out. Now, some people have taken our kind of understanding of tribal thinking of who is in and who is out. Kind of like the way we think about groups in the world. And they've applied it to the way they think Jesus thinks about us. And what they say and how they define in this model who is in and who is out is usually defined By three things. What we believe. Like what do we believe about God? Do we have all the right beliefs about God? How do we behave? Do we do all the right things? I don't smoke or chew or go with girls who do. I don't know any girls that chew. If you're a girl that chews. I'd love to just shake your hand. Be like you're the only one ever. Okay I don't go. You know I don't do. Here's how I behave. I don't do this. I don't do these kinds of things. You know I always work out seven days a week. I you know and uh, here's my you know what I do. To make myself, and then, and also it's, um, so what I believe, what I behave, and how I serve. Like, I not only avoid all the bad, corrupt behaviors, I serve in all the right ways. I give a little bit of money to this charity, I help these people, I'm nice to my kids when they're nice back to me. All the things. Like, we do all the right things. Believe, behave, and serve. Those sound like pretty good things. I believe. I, you know, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, He died. And rose again and all these things. I behave. I like, I'm like, don't try to be mean to people. Now, some of you have had experience with me. You know that I'm always not that good at that. And I serve in all the right ways. Yeah, I'll stay late and help you with the thing. And just to make sure things are good. I try to do these things. But what is the problem with the in and out model? What is it? Well, even if you believe all the right things. You behave in all the right ways. And you serve your little heart out. Your heart can still be very far away from God. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) I shall continue. Uh, Next slide, please. So how do we define the bonded set? Well, what do we define what it means to be in? Uh, Number two, determine who has self-identified as being in. We help the in people remain in and we help the out people get in. And when you think of some of the imagery that I showed you at the beginning of this talk, maybe this has something to do with it. We need to hunt and bag people. We need to get them in. We need to get them in. You know why? What happens if they don't get in? Well, if they don't get in, that means they're out. And we all know what that means. No, tell me. What does that mean? I think there's like some sort of tormenting 
eternal lake of fire or something like that. Um, so yeah, we, it gets very dark, very weird, really. And like, it's hard for us to understand that. And, and so, yeah, so this is the bonded set. What if there was a different way to think about this? Something that more aligned with what Jesus had in mind for us, uh, centered set. What is it? Now I find the second one. Let's go to the next slide. Sorry about that. Uh, this is may seem crazy, but it is not. Uh, what you have are individuals and you have people who are either moving towards Jesus or they're moving away from Jesus. You see some couples are moving towards, some are moving in separate ways. And what we find when we look at the real Jesus from the real Bible, uh, is that he actually relates to us more like this because, uh, your heart, like I said, you can know, believe, behave and serve and do all those things. Right. But your heart could still be far away from God in the same, what, what makes this different is that like, it becomes less about all the things. It becomes more about the person of Jesus. And along the way in Jesus's life, there's lots of examples where he's saying, Hey, follow me, come to me. I am the bread of life. Come to me. I am the way, the truth and the life. And constantly in Jesus's life, And what we read in the Bible is Jesus is moving us away from a set of beliefs onto a person. You guys ready for this? I'm going to hop back up. All right. Um, I'm very old. Uh, And so, yeah. So when we read the stories of Jesus, when we look at who the real Jesus is, and we look at all the examples he, he sets, when he interacts with people, what do we see? We see that Jesus... He reserves some of his harshest criticisms for who? For the people who are out. Oh, you're out. You're bad. You're a tax collector. You're a whore. You just sleep around. All that. Is that who he reserves his harshest criticism for? Who did he reserve his harshest criticism for? He reserved it for the religious elite. The religious elite were called the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And the Pharisees... And we've all heard the word Pharisee, and Jesus calls, we, 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 that's synonymous with hypocrite now. But Pharisee at the time, these were the people that believed all the right things, they behaved in all the right ways, and they served God with their whole heart. But Jesus looks at them and says, your heart's far away from me. Your heart is far away from God. You do everything by the book, you do everything right, and it's disgusting. Like, and the people knew it. Okay, and so how else do we see that Jesus relates? Well, well, look at the life of Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. And if you read the four Gospels, which are the four books that have the real-life stories of Jesus, we see that everyone paints Peter as this weird guy. He's constantly doing things right, and then he's doing things wrong all the time. So, like, have you ever, like, so when we think of the word Christian, actually, did you know Jesus never used the word Christian? And he didn't say, come, follow me and be Christian. Christian was a word given by the Romans to describe Christians, which means little Christ. The word Christian doesn't even really show up in the New Testament, which is the second half of the Bible. Really doesn't even show up that much. The word Christian sometimes makes us get off of the idea of being a Jesus follower and gets us into a system of beliefs. I'm not telling you not to use the word Christian. I just recognize there's limitations to language. One of those limitations is the word Christian. And so if we use the word Christian to describe Peter, was he saved? When he, was he in? Was he going to heaven? Was he not going to go to hell? Like, when did Peter actually become a Christian? Now, if you look at the story of Peter's life in the story of Jesus, it's super unclear. 
At one minute, Jesus is like, come, follow me. And Peter leaves all his stuff and he follows him. A few chapters later, he like is like, oh, Jesus, I don't think I can do this. Uh, and then another time Jesus says, uh, you know, hey, you know, um, you're, I'm going to give you all responsibilities after I go in this. So that seems like maybe he's in then. And then a few chapters later, actually in the same chapter, Jesus says to Peter this strange thing where he says, get behind me, Satan. He calls Peter Satan. So how do you go from being like, hey, I'm going to put you in charge of everything to calling you Satan, uh, which is a really weird thing. I don't know, Jesus. Uh, and then like a little bit later in Peter's life, there's this moment where Jesus is about to be killed and crucified. And Peter denies him three times and abandons him and runs off. Is that, was that mean he was out at that time? Uh, or like, how about a few chapters later in the Bible where Peter rein, uh, is reinstated by Jesus and Jesus forgives him. And he says, look, I love you. Come be a part of what I'm doing. And there's all these examples where Peter is sometimes in and sometimes out. And I don't think our understanding of Christianity and life with Jesus works if we're constantly thinking about who is in and who is out. The directional understanding of following Jesus tends to be much more realistic. All throughout Jesus' life, he's always like, come follow me, have a relationship with me. Now here's the good and the bad news because they're both the same news. It is far more difficult to live a centered set life with Jesus because it's off the page. You don't have to do all the right things. You're focused on the person of Jesus. And if you've ever been in a relationship with another human being, you know how difficult and rewarding it can be. And so if those things are colliding in, it makes it that much more real. Because if you offend a real person, it feels real. But if you uh, uh, violate like a belief system, it's easier to get away with something. And so this becomes way more real for us when we think about what it means to relate with Jesus. And here's a couple of conclusions on this point that I want to make. What does it mean for how Jesus thinks about how we relate to him? Well, it changes. If we think more like Jesus did, the real Jesus, about coming to Jesus, we see one, everyone is on a spiritual journey. We have a slide for this, I think. Uh, No one is the enemy. Everyone is a real human being who can be called back into a relationship with God. And when we begin to view our journey with God as sojourners on a spiritual journey, it improves how we relate to God. But it also improves how we treat other people who are on the spiritual journey. We can actually judge people less. I don't think our world is short on anybody judging other people, Christian or not. It's a very judgy world. And let me just say, West Los Angeles is extraordinarily judgy. It is a judgy place. What if the people of God, Jesus followers who are focusing on how they relate to Jesus, could look at other people and not be always trying to figure out who's in and who's out. What if they could say and think about those people the way Jesus views them as a person who is on a journey? We can judge less. We can listen more. We don't need to feel the pressure to be right in a specific conversation. And we don't need to feel any kind of pressure to use any kind of sales tactics or fear tactics to get someone to cross into some sort of magical line. Now, I firmly believe that when we come into life with Jesus, when we look and turn our lives to the person of Jesus and what he has done on the cross, something happens by God's power and God's spirit. And many of you in this room have experienced that. I firmly believe in that. But when we're trying to just figure out who's in and who's out, it really hurts 
our reputation as Jesus followers, and it gets you and me focused on the wrong things. So the second thing I see is that we, we understand that we too are on a spiritual journey. That we, are, uh, we may be in a different place than the seekers or people who are generally oriented towards Jesus, what they're thinking and believing and doing. Uh, but it gets rid of the us versus them mentality. We don't need to be caught up in being like, they're on the outside, we need to hunt them down, we need to go to battle, and, which has spoiled some of the way we share our life with Jesus in the past. And so what is the point? As Jesus followers, we need to focus less on who's in and who's out, because Jesus can figure that stuff out or whatever that is. And we need to instead focus on telling the good story of the good news that's actually happening in our actual lives. What does this mean? I don't think that you need as a church to get better at sharing some sort of canned presentation of Jesus to people. Some pre-packaged notion of what you need to figure out that you need to say to people and you need to make sure you get all the points in before the coffee is over. Otherwise, you've done a bad job. Uh, you, what I'm calling us to is to think about the centered set. Think about how our journey in G- with Jesus is moving forward. And I want us to live the brand. I want us to be able to tell the story of Jesus in a real and authentic way, both with our words, but primarily with our actions. And one of the ways that we can share what Jesus has done in our lives is not by being like, hey, did you know that Jesus rose again? And here's some proofs. The way we can do that is to live authentically by surprising the world. What does that mean? What do we do when we surprise the world? Well, there's a quote by a guy named Michael Frost. It reads like this. It says, Christians open their fellowship to anyone irrespective of ethnicity, and they promoted social relations between the sexes and with families, something that really hadn't been done at this time. They were, Christians were far more advanced in the way men and women related at this time. Uh, they were literally the most surprising alternative society, and their conduct raised an insatiable curiosity among the average Roman. Um, if you are a Jesus follower, if you're not a Jesus follower, hey, you're off the hook on this one. But if you are a Jesus follower, if you claim to follow Jesus, if this is something that you've said, you know what, I am moving towards Jesus, how many of the people around you say you live a curious and surprising life? If you're not living a curious and surprising life, I'm not going to beat you up about that, but I will say that what you have available to you are options to say, I don't maybe need to like do this and that to figure out who's in and who's out, but I can live a curious, interesting life that's in line with what Jesus has for me. So what does this look like practically? Uh, How do you practically invite the reality of what God has done into your life uh, in an authentic way? I think one of those things is to tell your story. There's a difference between like, Good, like, here's what the gospel is. And I, I mentioned it, like all the points, getting all the belief system in. There's a difference between that and saying, hey, when I invited Jesus into my life or when I aligned my life with Jesus, whatever language you want to use, like, I got sober. I cleaned up my life. I was addicted in this way and this way, and now my life is different. Hey, when I fell in love with the person of Jesus, when I aligned my life with Jesus, I immediately saw ways that changed how I should relate to my spouse. And my marriage was okay. 
and now it's a little bit better. You, you see what I'm doing here? I'm telling the good news of what Jesus has done in your life. I think that is what we focus on. You don't have to get all the points right. What you need to do is become a better storyteller describing what God has done in your life. And you may feel like, oh, I don't have a crazy story. That's right. You don't have a crazy story. And if that's you, what are the ways that God has done something in you? Pay attention to those things and just tell those things. And I also want to uh, recommend uh, something else. Uh, It's a fun little thing. It's called Bells, B-E-L-L-S. And there's five habits of healthy Jesus people, people that want to live on mission with Jesus. And they look like this. Uh, The first one is bless. Uh, We want to be generous. Uh, So maybe a commitment to that would be like, hey, I want to bless three people this week, regardless of what they believe about God. Like, so instead of trying to figure out who's in and who's out, what's it look like to be nice to your neighbors, your actual neighbors? And maybe here's a good way to be nice to your neighbors. Learn their names. What is their first name? What is their last name? What is their social security number? <laughs> cool. And what your bank, what's your routing number? Awesome. So good. No, what do you do? Like, how about you learn your, you know, first and last names? What do they do? What do they like? Hey, you know, how do I bless somebody maybe who's in need? Or how do I encourage or care for someone in my sphere, regardless of what they believe? Don't think tribe. Yes, other people in this room need your help and love and all that. But what's it look like to do that with people that don't believe what you believe? Uh, The second thing is eat. I find that this is a really great way. Eat is, I will eat with three people this week. One at least who, someone who is not a Christian. And this one's more about like hospitality. Like, do you open your home? Do you open up your checkbook to go or or do you go or get a credit card and, or a debit card and you go somewhere out to eat and you hang out with people and do you not just hang out with your little tribe other people who claim the name of Jesus but do you also hang out with people who are different than you that believe different things than you and one of the things this church has always tried to do is like we, uh, we try to listen to people that don't believe the same things we believe and what that has led us to hopefully is improving how we think and talk about God. Also, it's helped us to build real relationships with real people because that's what Jesus people do. Uh, Third thing is listen in bells. It's a listen. I will spend at least one period of the week listening for the Spirit's voice. Now, this Spirit has a capital S to it. It actually means Holy Spirit. When we do, what we do here is sometimes we think prayer is we have a machine gun of some kind, and we're shooting our prayers up to heaven. Like, God, I want to win the lottery this week. Uh, And then I'll give you all the money. (laughs) And like, (laughs) like, I swear, I won't quit my job. I'll be a blessing. I'll just work for free. Uh, And, you know, know, help my, you know, and we were just shooting. And we do the crazy ones, but also we're like, God, help my friend who doesn't have a job. God, there is a person who is dying they're sick. They have stage four cancer. They're, it's inoperable. What, please. And so we think that prayer is a one-way street where we're shooting everything we need or think we need up to God. That is half of it. The other half is listening. That God wants to do something to us and in us where the prayer is not just us shooting up to heaven, but it's shooting down to earth that God wants to speak to us. He wants to speak to our hearts and our minds. 
uh, that he wants to work through a community of other people to dis- so we can dis- better discern it. And we hold these things loosely. We don't say, thus saith the Lord, because, man, you know, we're, infa- we're not infallible. We make mistakes. We're human people. But we are committed in this church to the practice of listening to God through prayer, which is led by our favorite, Eric Amos, right over here. Yeah, so uh, yeah, th- thank you. And I'm so excited about the class you're leading next week. I think it's going to be great. Um, So so like when we learn to discern and recognize God's voice, everything else is rock and roll. We know how to better line up with him. We know how to better help our neighbors. Uh, We know how to better take care of the people that we live with, whether it's children or a marriage or we have a roommate. If we're not married, we get get better at these things. Uh, The second L is learn. I will spend at least one period of the week learning Christ. Uh, one way to do that is to repeat the, what you have done this morning, uh, next Sunday at 10 a.m. <laughs> Another way to do that is to read the Bible or get connected with some sort of literature that can help you to do that. But learning Jesus, studying the person of Jesus is essential for people that want to be Jesus people. And I'm not asking you to commit hours and hours of your day to this. I'm just saying uh, commit a period of time where you can learn and understand who Jesus is and what he's calling you to do. This is far better than just focusing on the belief system. And the last thing is sent. This is a kind of a missional aspect. I will journal regularly about the ways I alerted others to the reign of God through Christ. And so basically you're committing to like, you know, what are the ways I can alert people to the person of Jesus? Uh, You're not necessarily alerting someone to like, hey, I want to make sure you're following all these these right theology things, but you're alerting people to the reality of what God has done in your life, the, what God has done in this community, what God is doing in the world. I don't know if you know this, but Christianity still remains as the fastest growing faith in the whole world. And that includes other religions where people are born into that religion based on the country they're born into. I'm talking about adult conversions, people who are coming to faith in Jesus. God is doing something through the person of Jesus in this world like we've never seen before. If you take all of the Christians that have ever lived since the time of Christ, you take all of them, 80% of them have come to faith in Jesus, started following Jesus in the last 100 years. And 80% of those Christians, that smaller number, have come to Christ in the last 50 years. And 80% of those Christians have come to faith in Christ in the last 20 years. And 80% of those Christians have come to faith in the 1040 window, the middle of the world, places that don't look like this, places in Asia and places in Africa. In the world, the Spirit of God is doing something where he is alerting people to his power and his presence. So don't be fooled by what's happening in Santa Monica or what you experience in LA or in America. There's something interesting happening around the world with Jesus. And what I want us to do is get away from this very rigid, like, who's in and who's out. That's not your business. Your business is to welcome the power and the presence of God into your life to tell the stories of what Jesus is doing in you. And when you do that, you're focusing your life on something that's more important than anything else. You're focusing it on Jesus and people. And that's what we believe here. You're less concerned about what Jesus might think of others. And you're better positioned to relate to God as a person, not as some distant belief. And when, you, when all the stuff begins to happen, you can clearly begin to see 
That this just isn't something. That Jesus is madly in love with you. That he created you for a purpose. That he sees your fullest potential more than you see it. I know you see your potential and I know your mom and your dad sees it. But God, your creator, sees your potential even more than you see it. And that's amazing. Because he's interested in us. He's interested in our hearts. So why don't we focus on him? Why don't we focus on him and see what happens? Like he's here in the room. Like I feel him. He's here. He saved me. He loves me. He pulled me out of things that I had no business in. He pulled my family out of things they had no business in. And he's here. And he's accessible to us. And all we have to do is say, God, I'm here. What do you want to do? How do you want to talk to me? God, what do you, what, what, what's this all about? So why don't we do that? He's here. I mean, he, like he's here. Why don't we do that? Will you stand with me, please? I'm going to invite the band to come back up.